That's me, nigga. You are now rocking with the super califragilisticexpialidope shit. Your favorite podcaster's favorite podcast, featuring on the verge artists, established influencers, and people from all walks of life doing dope shit. With your host Emiliano Styles. What's up? What's up? This is super califragilisticexpialidope shit, and I am here with Santana. Uh, how do you pronounce your last name? Benitez. Benitez. There you go. Okay, I'm going to make sure I'm saying it correctly. <laughs> mm-hmm. What I like to do is I like to start my podcast with a rapid fire segment. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to choose between two different things. Mm-hmm. Give me no explanation whatsoever. But can I if I need to? No. <laughs> no. Okay. I no got explanation, you. whatever. I got you. Just choose one or the other. Okay. All right, you ready? Mm-hmm. Martin or Malcolm? Malcolm. Rihanna or Beyonce? Rihanna. Creation or evolution? Both. Uh, creation. Android or Apple? Apple. Brutal honesty or white lies? Brutal honesty. Kobe or LeBron? Kobe. Knicks or the Nets? Knicks. Career or family? Right now, career. Marriage or long-term commitment? Long-term commitment. commitment. (laughs) (laughs) Damn, let me get it out. (laughs) That's easy. Pac or Biggie? Biggie. J. Cole or Kendrick? Kendrick. Matinee showing or night showing? Matinee. Nike or Adidas? Nike. Cake or pie? Cake. Joker Joker Deuce Ace or Jack Queen King Ace? Jack Queen King Ace. HBO or Showtime? HBO. The Wire or Breaking Bad? Wire. Autumn or Summer? Summer. All right. Yeah. All right. So that's the, the rapid fire segment. Okay. A little icebreaker there. All right. Now, just want to give you a little background around this podcast. So, you know, it's basically... I want to talk to people who are on the verge, people who are established, and just, I want this to be a, a, a way where people can listen to it. Once you, you know what I'm saying, are at a higher, well, a certain, more established in your career. Yeah. So like 10 years from now, I was like, yo, <laughs> before her cookbook came out, she did, you know, this is what she was on, and mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So I think it's cool to uh, get people at different stages in their career who are doing dope shit because just because you don't have a hundred thousand followers on social media that Thank still God. doesn't mean <laughs> no i mean and that's not a bad yeah. thing but i mean like imagine you have those many followers and you actually want to communicate with friends that people that you like on instagram but then you, it just gets lost in the sauce because you have all these randos uh, just yeah. leaving comments i think yeah. that would be annoying right well it's coming soon two accounts <laughs> two accounts <laughs> personal yeah. and business right I, I met Santana through Antoinette. Yeah, at, at Celestine, or, they call her Tina. Yeah, at her, yeah. At her birthday. At her birthday. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like that that whole crew, that whole crew. Shanti, Shanti, Antoinette, yeah. Adrian. Um, and I think that was it. Her, and that was it. It was four ladies and you. Oh, right. Lucky me. Yeah, man. <laughs> All that female energy. Yeah, man. For it. <laughs> so. 
Yeah, so Santana, she... I don't know if you remember this. Is when I met you, I was like... You uh, was like, yeah, my natural hair color is... It's red, but I dyed it black. <laughs> yeah, I've been dyeing it black for years. But I thought you was just playing with me when you said that, but that's no, actually no, true. That's real. That's what's up. Oh, who? Wait, who would make up that? Well, I guess I don't girl. know. Do? I don't know. Just people. Just I ain't know you. So come to find out, that Santana was not just this undercover redhead. She's also a chef, a fine artist, a fine artist. <laughs> Uh, An artisan of food and painting. Yes. And a musical connoisseur. Okay. <laughs> and just an overall dope person. Good vibes. Thank you so much. And all that. So, really, really creative and artistic and expressive person. So, what would you say, what's the dopest thing that you've done to this point so far in your life? In my life. Up to this point. Uh, Career-wise, personally, I think the dopest thing that I did personally was this summer when I, you know, I moved out of my apartment in May, put all my things in storage, my apartment in Bed-Stuy, and um, went to Thailand and Vietnam for 63 days. And I was like, 63 days, I was solo. I had some friends join me at the end, which was cool. And I also was put on to to people um, from friends here in New York, like my girl Constance in Brooklyn, was like when you get to Vietnam, you gotta meet one of my friends. And we hung out, had the best time in Saigon. She was really cool people. And um, my my friend Otura in Puerto Rico, he has some people in Thailand. His friend Sean and his family owns a restaurant. Sean's from Cali, so he was super cool. Um, they were like my family in Thailand now. So that was great. I was alone. I was eating whatever. I was bouncing from different apartments to. I stayed in you know I didn't stay in any hostels, but I had some like you know smaller more modest situations. And I had some moments where I was like, oh, this is dope. Like stayed at a resort with a pool. And, but I had to really budget. Nice. No, it was wonderful. Nice. But at the same time, I was like, shit, I, when I get back to New York, like I have to get serious about work again because I have a storage bill. I have, you know, to afford a life in one of the most expensive cities in the world. <laughs> but it was like, whatever, I'm doing this and this is what I'm, I need to do. So I did it and it just all worked out when I came back to New York, which brings me to the other dope, I think the professional thing is just working with Spike Lee is like the coolest thing I can imagine. And I never would have thought this was going to be the case. But here we are. Here we are. <laughs> what made you decide on Asia to be the destination that you wanted to go to? Well, as a chef, I am, um, you know, people are always like, who inspires you as a cook? I'm like, I'm more inspired by like people's food, like different culture, like their food. Like, I'm, that's always, when I go somewhere, I'm like, let's get into the food. And Thai and Vietnamese is just really beautiful food. It's very fragrant. It's spicy. It's sweet. It's salty. It's got all the umami. So I always wanted to go there for the food, learn, you know, take cooking classes. And also the beach vibes. Like I just want tropical. I want heat. I want humidity. And I want it to be around brown people. So mm-hmm. it seemed like the place to go. Uh-huh. Cool. <laughs> and it was, it was the move. It was the move. Who was the person that you look up to who does dope shit? Do you have a mentor or anything like that? I really look up to a couple of people in New York. Um, for one, my godfather, um, Dr. Weldon Williams. He's a professor of black studies and, and a spiritualist and a priest, you know, a Yoruba priest. And he's just dope. Like, he's a wonderful, warm person. He's incredibly intelligent. Harvard Law was a lawyer for the longest. But he just, 
he's just on some real shit, you know, and, and he's, he's warm and intelligent and gives great advice. Um, also, career-wise, and just as a, as a warm, giving, loving person, Fadia Cater, she's beautiful. You know Fadia. See, everybody knows Fadia. She is. I don't know her personally, but okay, like I social media. Yeah. That's like, she has put me onto so many things. Like, I think she used to manage my homegirl, Bosco. Yeah. Oh, Bosco. Yeah, I know yeah, Bosco. Brittany. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, see, New York scene is so small sometimes. But Fadia, let me just shout out to her a little love. She is... She's done a lot. I know she was like digital marketing, whatever complex. She was in the fashion and music world in Atlanta. And now she's like Miss Twitter. She like runs, I shouldn't call it Miss Twitter, but she's the head of, of music of uh, the rap and R&B section of Twitter music. Oh, dope. So she, and she's amazing. I mean, anything she touches tends to gold. She's behind Protecting Magic. She's behind St. Frida. Um, and my thing that I love about her is she is, and now she just started culinary school because she's an amazing cook. No wonder she wants to be a professional chef. Did you have an influence on that decision? Um, I think that, you know, what she was going to do what she was going to do. But I mean, I feel like I always, when we talked about it, I was always very encouraging, you know, because I went to culinary school and I feel like people will tell you, oh, you don't have to go to be a good chef. And that's true. But I think that when you have good taste and you know how, what flavors go well, like and Fadia does, and I feel like I did before I went in. Then you sh- you owe it to yourself to go and get the training. Why not? Yes, it's expensive, and yes, she probably has a crazy schedule. But when you love food the way that we love cooking, it's like it only enhances your game. Like it just, you know, it's one thing to cook great food, but it's another to make photos that make people look at and be like, "Yo, what the?" Because uh, you know. Yeah. And I think it's all in your knife cuts and sauces and consistency. How do you? A lot of you things that you learn in culinary school too, or in the kitchen if you work in restaurants is. How do you save mistakes in cooking? Baking, it's not as forgiving, but you can be in the kitchen and something is so salty. What would I do? You know, like I know I'd probably add some honey and add more citrus, more, more acid, something to balance it. Hmm. And you learn these things when you get professionally trained because you learn what you've been doing wrong. You know, yeah, we know you've done something right because you're a good cook, but what have you been doing wrong? How can you cook meat to the perfect temperature and how can you poach an egg wonderfully every time with no stress, you know? And you learn these things in culinary school. So back to her, real quick, I look up to her because she pulls people along with her. She she, she put me on to, I had an Essence feature because she reached out, her friend Whitney, who works at Essence, where they were looking for black female chefs, and not female, but just black chefs or people in food. She put me onto that, so I had a, a great feature. Oh, okay, I saw that a video. Yeah. Right. Okay, yeah, and they featured me at the dinner that I did for we did for Tony Peralta, who's a, a wonderful artist, Dominican right. artist uptown. Yeah, I cop some of his stuff. That's the homie. Love him. him. I got the New York hat. That's my, that's my spam right there. What's up? Um, and so that's how we all got connected because she got a sponsorship through um, Twenty Grand Vodka and Mayimba Music. So I was out here in LA. Hello, Mayimba Music. See all these people you want to say hi to, but yeah. So she bring, she pulls people in, and and so um, I love her for that because she and she's young. She's Palestinian. She's proud. She's Southern. She's she's all these things, and she's dope as fuck. So her, my Baba. Um, I feel like I hope I'm not missing anyone, but um, I also really respect. Um, there's a man named Rotimi uh, in in Bedside. He owns like brew and cocktail. He's just a cool dude. Like he's 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 always been supportive. When I did the Afro Latino Festival two summers ago, mm-hmm. he was like, "You need a tent. You need an induction burner." Like he's just cool. Just you know. Um, and he he owns great businesses. He, he recognizes the importance of keeping bedside. You know, Bed keeping side. the culture there. Yeah, and yes. you know, and and helping out other people, other Black people, other pe- other people of color, everyone in the community, but really people of color, and that's important to have someone who is of color who owns important 
you know, businesses in the community to be there like that. So I like him too. Like I respect that a lot as a business person. So there's a lot of people in New York doing great things, but they stick out, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, where were you born? I was born in Lake and Heath, England. My parents were both, my both, my parents were in the Air Force and they were stationed at Mildred Hall Air Base at the time, but I was born at Lake and Heath, which is a nearby base. Now, did you also grow up there? Where did you grow up? I lived there till I was three and then we moved to California. We were in, we were about two hours south of LA. And um, we came here because my mom, you know, she really wanted to come home. And that's when my mom grew up here in Wilmington, Long Beach area. And uh, so we were here for three years and then my parents divorced. My father went to South Florida and my mother and I, we went to Panama for four years, which was duh you know, which is wow. where I want to retire. I like to visit there. I go back when I can. It's just a magical place. Um, and then we went to Texas after that. In Texas, we were there for a while. I went to middle school and high school there. And um, it's interesting, like in San Antonio. So it was very, very Mexican heavy, like a lot of Mexican culture, art, music, food. That's my obsession with Frida Kahlo because just being young, seeing her everywhere since I was probably like 10. Um, and then from there, we went to a graduate high school and we went to Turkey for a year. I know. I was going to go to college and my mom got an all, assignment. Oh, wow. Yeah, man. My mom got an assignment. I was like, mm, college can wait. <laughs> and I never went. I mean, I'm going to college now, but I never went to a traditional college. And then I, you know, my mother was like a first sergeant in the Air Force at the time. She was like, Santana. She, I remember the day she sat me down. She's like, I really think you should join the Air Force. And I was really defiant. I was like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm not interested. And then I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was me moving to to Turkey and hanging out with other people my age who had just joined the Air Force and were living in the dorms and we were just kind of, you know, drinking, going out because illegal drinking age was 18 there. Um, but maybe that kind of like made me feel like this could be cool, like I could do this. And I joined the Air Force and then from there I was on my own little path and bouncing around. Since you was all around growing up, like how did that impact your perspective about or your self-awareness about cultures, about who you are as a person? Did you ever, um, or, or you didn't know anything else? So it was no, just... no, no. I was always very aware. I mean, I I was always very aware because of where my parent, who their parents were, where my parents came from. I was and the movies I would see, the music I would listen to. From being even growing up overseas, even you know, from being six to ten years old and being very young, but those are very formative years for children. You know, mm. these, those make lasting impressions on how you view adults and, and how you see yourself in the world. I guess, and um, so I was always really aware of. You know, well, Panama was Panama didn't feel too different as a child because you know my fa my father's Puerto Rican, he's Afro Puerto Rican, so Panamanians are you know black Latinos as well, and it's you know the Caribbean side, and it's very it's similar. You know, the cult, we're all different in Latin America, but it's very similar. So it wasn't like a wow kind of thing, but um, you know, it was more interesting going to school on base. It's like a little UN. You have kids from parents that come from all over. Um, you might have like Panamanian diplomat kids and a lot of American military kids. And you know, the American military, it's really interesting. You have people that come from, you know, you have people that come from like trailer parks. You have people who come from like the most like hood ass spots mm. and you throw them all together. <laughs> so I was living in a dorm and, and then a lot of people are either, and it's not even on some like mean shit, but a lot of people are uneducated and unexposed, you know? And that's interesting. That's an interesting environment to live and work in. So then their kids become who they are. So as kids, we're seeing those parents and their actions at school. 
And you know, I remember, I always tell this story. I think I was, I can't know, I don't remember if I was seven or eight. I believe I was eight at this point because we were in our second house on the base. And there was this white girl named Cassie, like so white, you know? And I beat her in a game of soccer and she got so mad and out of her mouth, we're little kids. She calls me verbatim, black nigger. We're like eight years old, yo. It didn't make me cry or anything. I just got like, like I remember thinking like, bitch, as a kid, whatever, whatever that sound would have right. been at that age. Yeah. I just remember being like, just so aware, like I wasn't shocked. You know, I remember when I told my mom. Was you talking shit when you was beating her in soccer? No. I pro- oh, probably. She was like, and what? Probably. And what? But, but and you're going to call Cassie? me a, uh, Cassie. <laughs> like, really, Cassie? And that's just a reflection of your parents. It's right, not right, her. right, right. She's seven years old. It's definitely years tough. Old. That's my point. So, yeah. like, I'm an adult now. I, I'm no one's mad at Cassie. But my point is, at that age, I was always very aware of, like, culture and, and, and ethnicity and racial identity has always been, I've always been aware of it. Not in a way that it made me uncomfortable, never that, but just always very conscious of, you know, who I am, who my parents are, where they come from, what we're about. And so, it, and also picking up and moving, we had to be adaptable. I can flow, you know, that helps with that, for sure. Adaptability, desire for change, comfort with change, that's, if anything, that's what it's influenced. Mm. I get excited for new things. I'm like, fuck it, let's start fresh, let's do it. So you was like a very... You was athletic, so you did soccer. No, oh no, this was like street ball. Oh okay, <laughs> so you didn't play any sports. I didn't. I did not. I'm not an athletic person. I'm a great swimmer. Okay, see shoulders. <laughs> no, I'm serious. My mother was a wonderful Where? swimmer here in California. She, my mom could have been a, a wonderful swim star, but I think my grandmother had other plans for her, unfortunately, which my mom later didn't even go with. But you know, you know how it is. My grandmother was really old school, born in 1913. Black woman from Houston. Mm. This is her adopted mother. So very strict, very old school, very Southern, but raising her in Southern California. So she, yeah, I, got, I guess I got that ability from her. Okay. You know what's interesting? Every man I've dated, when I, when I let them know how good of a swimmer I am, literally all of them want to challenge me and not one of them have won. And I had dated someone who was really, like extremely athletic, fantastic athlete, mm-hmm. still couldn't beat me. It's like I'm a motherfucking mermaid. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, yeah. I, I see you, you stunting on me right now. Listen. Ain't nobody can beat me in swimming. What? Listen. Microsoft? What? Brooklyn what? And clap. What? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, what type of student were you? Were you like a very good student? I was student? a good student. I had no okay. choice. My mom was like, don't be bringing him nothing. Don't bring him no C bullshit. A's mm. and B's and mostly A's. You can get some B's in math. And then I remember my one sister, Noelle, we were all, you know, we were all good in school. Mm-hmm. We were active in student government. Like, okay. we were, you know, those kind of students. Um, were you a nerd, though? Would you call so? me? I don't know. I'm asking. No, I wasn't. No, no, no. <laughs> just a, a cool intellectual. Yeah, I don't ever think child. I was. I don't want to play the whole like I was a nerd in school. I really I can't say uh, I was. You know what I mean? I had a good. Because like, what is a nerd really like? You could be have intellect and intellectual curiosity about being labeled. I think nerds. Nerd. Okay, so everyone has a different definition of nerd. I think they nerd. Be, nerd. I became, get nerd and geek confused too. Okay, so nerd can be. We're, let's take away that annoying new context of nerd, which is like cute. Oh, you're such a nerd. Like she's cute, little nerdy girl. But let's take that. That's not what we're talking about. 
when I think of nerds in high school, it's just because they don't, the people don't fuck with. Like, I think of like socially awkward. Awkward, like, like they, no one really fucks with you. Yeah, like, but they into whatever they're into. And that's it. Yeah, like some people are just like three of them and they just only fuck with each other. And that's cool. Yeah, Do yeah, you. Yeah. Like if people are mean to you and they don't fuck with you, don't fuck with them. As an adult, you get that. But like when you're younger, you're like, they're just nerds, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but nerds be leaving people alone. So I fuck with nerds. Although some nerds would talk some shit. You right. I know, some nerds, and those would be because, the worst ones. And then like, I wasn't going to call you a nerd, but I'm going to call you as a nerd now. Yeah. <laughs> and they would like, kind of, kind of, we could like talk down to you because they think, Cause they think like, they're smarter. Yeah, like, just because I'm not yeah. a fucking loser doesn't mean I'm not intelligent. All right? <laughs> shit. No, that's mean. But I, it's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Define your passion and profession. If it's the same thing, do that. No, this define your okay. Define your passion. Okay, my passion is well. For one, this is very obvious: is food and cooking. I mean, I I go into grocery stores and I see like fresh produce and fresh baked bread and all these cheeses, and I get so hyped. I'm like, oh my god, what can I make? Like, I just want to just grab everything up and just go in on some meals and just like feed people, you know. And so that, I'm very passionate about that. I'm passionate about, you know, being in different cities and checking out their food culture, seeing what that scene is like. I'm passionate about, um, I'm passionate about Black Lives Matter movement. I'm passionate about um, women's issues. I'm passionate about um, resisting the current administration. Passionate about Puerto Rico and working on my documentary and talking about why independence for Puerto Rico matters, why they're where they're at, who caused it, the US. Um, I'm passionate about my family. Was there a tipping point or deciding factor that made you realize what your passion was or did you always feel that? Um, Well, now they're kind of, okay, they were, okay, so when I was in the Air Force, I knew there was a time when I'd be getting out and going to school off my GI Bill, which is the education bill that kind of funds our school. So it caps at a certain, every year it caps off, but they'll fund your classes, whatever. So I knew when I got out of the Air Force that I was going to be going, I just knew in my heart to journalism school. I was like, I'm going to go be a journalist because I was really into democracy now and I love Rachel Maddow and I really wanted to, to do that kind of like newsy journalism. And Hold up, how long were you in the Air Force? Six years. Okay. Just shy of six years. So like five years and like 11 months or 10 months. Got it. Yeah. So, um... Where was I? GI Bill. Yes, yes, yes. So then I was like, you know, and I moved to Germany and I was, you know, living 30 minutes from France. We would drive to like French grocery stores on their wine tent sales and get a bunch of cheese and bread and all this dope shit. And I was like really into just, not just the food, the delicious food that I grew up on, but beyond that, like, you know, exploring European food, which is, I was always like, ah, fuck that. I was never interested or impressed. Maybe it was just like me being defiant, but I was never really impressed by European food or culture until I actually moved to Europe. Mm. I mean, there's still things about it. I'm like, eh, but it's very, very lovely living there. You know, it's, it is. It's lovely. People are, people are the most of our mind their business. I mean, France is on some fuckery, but you know, I'm oh, sorry. And England too. See, they're all on some bullshit, but the quality of life is safe. But nah, that's a sorry. Word. The quality of life is. <laughs> Definitely. is really nice there and it encouraged me to think about food in like a more refined way I think and so it's like okay well I could be a food journalist so I'm gonna go to culinary school and then journalism school just to like you know know what I'm talking about and I was defiant about not being a chef I was like I don't want to be a chef I don't want to be a chef I don't want to be a chef probably like my second week in school I was like mm, I think I want to be a chef so I stayed with culinary school 
transferred to DC or from DC to New York, started a new co- I had to start all over at a program here in New York, which I understand. So that nothing sense. transferred? No, but it makes sense. I mean it's a completely different institutions. And coming oh, to New York felt okay. it was a little more prestigious, I think, than than the DC one. Which so, school? The one here? In New York. Institute of Culinary Education. Okay. I need to visit the new school. That's actually where Fadi is going. Oh dope. Yeah, yeah. They have a chocolate lab where the temperature's set wonderfully for making chocolate and pasta, you know. Mm. Yeah, it's great. Um, and the great yeah, thing about I that- went to the chocolate lab. Oh yeah. Yeah, they wanted to like study my skin. Oh, you're dumb. They was like, we want to see if we could try to match that texture. How much you make? Well, I don't <laughs> want to disclose that information. I don't want to disclose that information. How much you make though? <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, so I went to school and then I, I my internship. They called it for some reason culinary one. They called it the externship. Was with Tasting Table, which is a website, tastingtable.com. Yeah, I had to take the table. Yeah, so oh. I was I was an extern there for four months. And extern, they hired that's me. so progressive. I know. <laughs> I know, I'm just going with it. That's what my school called it, so it's ingrained in my head. Um, and so they hired me to be a freelance cook for them. And so I did that, and then I started, I found some, some clients actually like found me when I was working at a restaurant in the village, um, Nourish Kitchen and Table. And then from there, I started doing private things and then branding events and pop-up events and started writing my cookbook, which I'm waiting. I was going to put it out earlier, but I'm waiting for the show to come out for me to um, just wait on that. You know, there's no rush. What are we rushing for? Okay, let's talk about these different things now. Okay, I know. Let's talk about your cooking. We're going to talk about your cookbook. Then we're going to talk about the show. Okay. So first, let's talk about the cooking. Now, I feel like you're talking so... Blase about some really dope shit that's been going on. I'm not being blase. I feel like it is. It's like, oh yeah, I went to this procedure school and I was at school in DC and I went there and then tasting table and then I just happened to you know get some private events and I got okay. this cookbook. You know, so uh, I All went. Right. I want you to give more insight on. Oh, I forgot about chopped. Oh yeah, so shit. we'll talk about we'll, 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 let's, <laughs> let's section it out. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So how like when you're cooking, how do you get the different clients like? It was a tasting table. Like, what is it that you do that helps you to amass more clientele and be able to do private things and for people to even know about you being a private chef? Um, it's a lot of word of mouth. It's a lot of word of mouth. Um, and, you know, I think I'm pretty, I'm very active on social media. I'm constantly posting my food, the process of buying food, raw ingredients, clean prepped cut ingredients ingredients while they're cooking, ingredients when they're finished, plated. Like, I like to show the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that my food photos, people are people like to look at them. So that helps. And just really, like I said, word of mouth. You know, I think New York is really good about... Um, the thing about New York is everyone's doing something. Like, I, people can still impress me, but I, I think everyone's doing some cool shit, you know? Mm-hmm. And so when people like each other and they feel like they can work and there's synergy, people like to put other people on, I think. Yeah, and so I find that when you work with some one client and some person sees something that you've done or someone tells them like, "Yo, she was good," then you're just like word of mouth. And um, I feel like New York is good for that. New York is really good for that. New York is really good for work and networking. Yeah, I would say that's the difference between when I lived in Atlanta and New York was in Atlanta. It's more like, "Yeah, I'm a filmmaker. I'm trying to do this and that," and they'll be like, "Oh, okay, good good luck with that." Oh. But then in New York, it's more like, well, "Yeah, I'm a filmmaker." Film? They're like, yeah. oh, really? What's your car? You know, I yeah, know somebody yeah, yeah. who did it. So exactly. Like, yeah. but, right. but okay, cool. So word of mouth, social media. Social was, media yeah. and just, you yeah. know, 
letting people in and yeah taste your food all right yeah i don't do too much like i don't really go out of my way to do marketing or anything it's just ig word of mouth that's what's up Shouts to like IG. make make the good food and the people will come yes mm. exactly so tell me about your pop-up coming up so the pop-up because you're going to be doing these frequently right yeah well i don't know about frequently i'm going to be coming back from puerto rico so i go to puerto rico february 8th i don't know when is this podcast coming out i don't know yeah it's uh, going to come out in february sometime okay so i might be in puerto rico by then puerto rico. <laughs> but no i leave on the 8th and i have to um i have to come back to new york probably like twice a month three times a month mm -hmm. which is a lot i know but luckily the place i'm staying in pr is like 10 minutes from the airport so in and out oh uh, don't don't um and uh yeah so the pop-up is gonna be we have a location but i think i want to there's one other spot i want to look at we were gonna do it in january but this is before i realized i'd be coming back to new york often got it so um it's with my girl jade and we are gonna be doing a 30 person sit down three course wine or cocktail probably cocktail pairing because i saw if i'm being honest i saw this beautiful no i'm not gonna reveal it nope Okay. I saw a beautiful idea on Pinterest that I want to do with ice cubes. Oh, dope. So we want to do some kind of pairings. <laughs> so they're going to see it. New York folks will go to this <laughs> dope pop-up. Yes. All right. So that's your cooking field. Now let's talk about chopped. Okay. How did you get chopped? So back to Faria. So for oh. years, people have been saying like, try out for chopped, try out for chopped. And I was like, no, nah, no, nah, like I'm... I'm still not there yet. At the time I was working for the Lower East Side Girls Club, I was their chef and their culinary instructor because we did a lot of in-house catering. So we did parties for like Spotify conferences. So it was our Dawson's Fashion Week party. We did um, uh, Supreme Court Justice, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, her book release there. So I was catering all of these in-house events and these people would bring all their money to the girls club because the, the space is gorgeous. And you know, they would spend drop thousands because it's a nonprofit for women, for girls. So, um, yeah, so I, I was doing that at the time, and I was um, also instructing the girls, like doing cooking classes and handling the CSA and the, garden, the rooftop garden there. So I felt like I was like, all right, I, and I was ordering food, I had a staff, like I felt really like, okay, I'm, I have like a real position of, like I feel solid in this, you know? And by the time I'd already left restaurants, I didn't want to be in restaurants. Honestly, it's, I think I did maybe total two, two years of it. And I just did it like off and on, and I just, it wasn't for me. It was um, the hours, the pay, you, know, you learn a lot. You absolutely do. But I'm, I don't have the passion. I, I, my passion isn't in $13 an hour for 12-hour shifts Yo, all weekend. Like, I'm not doing that. I'm just not fucking doing And I'm not doing, or being a sue or being exec, because then, okay, your salary and benefits, but then you're, you're there 80 hours a week. Like, fuck no. Keep that. Yeah, I worked on uh, these people. They won this Food Network show, and... Uh, they had their own food truck. It was called the Great Food Truck Race. Mm -hmm. And what they did is they did a kitchen takeover tour and I like directed a web series. Oh, dope. So when we were going to these different restaurants in New York, they were like cooking their specialties for their fans mm -hmm. because they won. And shooting in the kitchen, the kitchen is so Hot. intense. And cold and loud. And, and I was like, and they were just in there and sweating and cooking and putting Stressed. up orders. I was like, how did they do this day? And then like, the that it's is very, very intense. Like it gave me a new respect for 
it's like even eating at restaurants because I realize yeah. all the things that go, that on, go in the back. on in the background. Like and it's, it's timing. so intense. It's timing is a mother. Like yeah, and the servers have to have good communication. They have to watch and see when they should drop. You know, food should drop or when to fire a ticket. Like just because a ticket comes in and it's on your line doesn't mean you have to immediately start making it. Like chefs have to fire it off. You know, you have mm. to gauge and pace your food. Like it's a whole bunch of things at once. And so yeah, so I'd stopped working at restaurants. Um, okay, yeah, chopped. Yes. I'm getting there. Right. I'm getting so there. I felt good enough to do it. So Fadi was like, yo, like they're looking for chefs who do stuff for like nonprofit people in the or like in the community. They were looking specifically for specifically that. Specifically for that. Dope. Check Dope. it out. So I was like, oh word. Absolutely. So I filled out the application at work and I hear back from them a week later and they're like, We want you to come and do us on screen test here in Tribeca. I was like, get the fuck out of here. So I show up and they tell me they're like well, we really like you. We think that you're probably eligible for two shows. And I said, okay, well, what are the shows? And she's like, well, one of them is the nonprofit one, which is the one I really wanted to do, or the chefs in the community. Yeah. And the other one is a couple's thing. And I was like, okay, all right. Like, it's a blind date thing. I didn't know much more about that because it was just very quick. I mm-hmm. hadn't even got the show yet. So right. a month went by and they were like, congratulations. Can we come film you? You've been selected for a couple one, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever. Mm. Then they were like, well, you have to split the money. And I was like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and then they hit me with the, you, can, you can't wear your chef shoes. And you have to wear an outfit and you can't bring your own knives. And I was like, this sucks. Then uh, I had to, I checked myself. I was like, you know what? Relax. This is a cool opportunity. Yeah, it's still a good opportunity. Yeah, I, got, I had to get over myself. And my partner was really great. Ian was wonderful. It was an easy collaboration. And the experience was great. Everyone was cool. We got there at 6 a.m. I didn't leave till midnight, but I left a winner. You know, like it felt right, good. Right, right. It's just a lot of sequester room, confessional. You work on shows. You know what it's like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was just a really long process. Chef Marcus was dope. Chef Monique was dope. Chef Chris, who was a guest chef, was dope. Do you still keep in touch with the person you were paired with? No, he moved here cool. to L.A. Oh, no, really? we're, no, we're cool. We're like Instagram and Facebook friends. Oh, okay, okay, like cool, cool. He's, he's out cool. here in L.A. Um, but no, he seems to be doing well. Yeah, but I haven't, I haven't seen him since that day. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all tried to get together as a cast. I don't know if you call it a cast. Okay, a little reunion. Uh, a little reunion. A little reunion. Like maybe seven months ago, but it just wasn't. No, not longer. It just wasn't working. Maybe March or something like that. Mm. People were kind of all over the place. You know how it is in New York. Yeah, man. Do people follow through with plans in L.A.? Uh, you know, you know, you know, they call call LA the land of the the, the Los Angeles Flakers. I love Los it. Angeles I belong in Flakers. LA. Yo, because I feel I'm like a flake. I feel like in LA it's more like because <laughs> LA is so sprawled out, so it's easier to flake. So if you live Word. in downtown and someone in the valley is like, yo, let's link. And you're like, okay, yeah. And then it gets around that time, you get looking at traffic and you like settled in at home or wherever or you had a long day. It's like, you got to drive. It's like more of, it's more of a taxing to yeah. get there. As opposed to New York, I feel like it's kind of taxing too, but at least you can get on the train and you there. But when it goes, when that shit goes local, yeah, that's yeah. Rough. And you, then, and you, like, all right, well, I'll pay Uber. And then we realize another week or weekend, you spent a hundred bucks on Uber. Or by Uber. the way, fuck Uber. Let me let me take Uber out of my vocabulary because it's out of my phone. Because Uber is like saying, Uber. Uber is like saying gasoline, <laughs> even though it may be some right, right, right. Coca Cola for like people in the south. Yeah, like, give yeah. me a Coke, and they're like, what kind of Coke? Yeah. 
or Q-tips. <laughs> it's cotton oh, swab. It's, it's, you know it's cotton swab. Yeah. yeah. Q-tips. It's whatever or it Vicks, is. Or Vicks, but you only should be using Vicks. Whatever it is. Ponte Vicks. Yeah. Um. So, all right. So, yeah. your cookbook. My cookbook is in... Tell me tell, what's the title of your cookbook. I'm going to call it I cook, I'll Cook Like Your Mother. I'll Cook Like Your Mother. And it's my Where hits. does this come from? It's hits and tips. It's like all the things. Okay, I'll Cook Like Your Mother comes from... I was deployed, actually, in 2000 and... What year was that? 10. 2009 to 2010. Not the whole year. About eight, nine months. And that album dropped. Um, the New America. Part two, Return of the Ankh. Oh, Erica Badu. Love that album. Wow. And the song, Get Money, when she says, fresher than the others, I'll cook like your mother. And I had a food blog that I wanted to start at the time. And I was like, that shit's dope. Because everyone loves their mom's food. And if they yeah. don't, that's sad. But most people are like, Yo, my mom makes blah, 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 blah. Oh, my mom this. You know, we all feel like, at least I do. Yeah, my mom makes the best. Come on. The absolute best pound cake. Okay, I'm sorry, and I would never challenge anybody ever, ever, ever. I'm sorry. Yo, I can't even eat no one else's pound cake. I can't either. Cause my, my mom grandma Tina's so recipe, I have it on my food blog. Okay. Shouts to that, but it's old. I don't, I don't update it anymore because I'm writing the cookbooks. I'm selfish with my recipes. Okay, yeah, that's understandable. <laughs> Is that shady? It's shady. no, no, no. That's understandable. I still give food tips. Like I still give like tips, but okay. my recipes. It's like it takes time, and it's like. So it's. Hints and tips. Hints and tips and pictures. And um, I really would like to shoot a couple of videos with um, codes. Yeah, I don't, I don't need to charge people. But like if I have corresponding Code? codes in the recipe, oh. like links and codes to where you can go and get a visual. That's smart. Yeah. Dang, that's good. Cool. Yeah, yeah, we're going to be in Puerto Rico shooting. Well, my doc is the main focus, which isn't food involved. Well, there is food. We're covering, you know, arts and, I mean, um, Farms and, and agriculture, but anyway, so we're gonna be shooting some some videos to correspond with the cookbook, and so I'm waiting probably to be really honest. Um, the show will come out late summer, early fall. I think it'll be smart to get that like almost late fall, right before Christmas, so cookbook gift. Like I'm really like I'm not I'm not I'm not terribly business minded. I mean I, I think I'm smart about things that I want to do, but I'm not big on the whole branding, 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 marketing, marketing. I mean I get the importance of it. But I think I I like the journey that I'm on that it's just kind of happening organically and but I think I'm still thinking of what's smart. Why put all this work into this book and just drop it when people will be there'll be interest, but like why won't I wait until there's way more interest right. and it's really appropriate, seasonally appropriate to just put all this shit in the book. Right, right. Because there's some seasonal things. I'm struggling with the seasonality of the book, but that's why I said it'll be the hits. Because I don't want to like have a summer cookbook drop in winter. Mm. It's a chef mind. Like, oh, it's seasonal cookbooks. But, you know, people live in different environments. So Acting. How do you get into this acting thing? Acting thing. Okay, so I, I last... Okay, I first met... It wasn't even meeting. Ran into Spike Lee at Obama's first inauguration in 2008. So, yeah, we were in D.C. and... Because there was so many, so many people that had to shut down mad yeah. streets. The metros were shut down for blocks and blocks and blocks. Yeah, I was there too. It was madness. Yeah, yeah. I liked the Trump inauguration. It was like the, all the trains were up and running like normal. Like there was no overflow of nothing. It was normal. Business as usual. Anyway, we don't talk about him. It's a Drumfree zone. Right. A lot of people don't know that his name was actually Drumpf. It's not Trump. His family changed that name because it was, I guess it was kind of a heavy immigrant sounding name. Yeah. Which is ironic. Yeah, a lot of... So I call him Drumpf. Yeah, a lot of people 
Uh, well, anyway, a lot of people do change their names like that when they come over. Oh make yeah, it sound more American, and that's fine. So, I mean, yeah. it's it's uh, it's sad. I get it, but it's like, but look, look at the irony, right? All right. So I make sure I call him Drump. That's your original name. Word. Yeah. Mama so, call him Drump. I'm Mama call him Drump. That's right. No, that's right. He's lucky we call him that. You're right. I call him much worse. Pero, back to real shit. Right. Um, what you ask? Spike. Yes. So, and then again, I went to meet him in 2014. He had an open studio, 40 Acres in Fort Greene, which is really close to where I live. And we took a photo and, um, you know, I followed him on Instagram, whatever. Um, and then they, I guess they were when writing for the show, you know, for She's Gotta Have It. And um, he reached out, you know, because he knows, I guess, the character. I don't, I guess, I can't say much. Mm-hmm. Um, but the character, I guess, he felt like there was something in me that could relate to the character. So he was like, hey, we're writing for the show. Um, when you get back to Brooklyn, if you have any, kind of come in, interview, whatever, whatever, just kind of help with the story. And I was like, cool, of course, I got hype. And then weeks later- yeah, he I heard, saw you in your in his vision. Yeah, right. The, and then I was show. like, oh, dope. So weeks went by and then I didn't hear anything. I was like, whatever, you know, maybe that was just like a weird offhand thing. And then he was like, he reached out. He's like, actually, when you get back, um, if you'd like to audition for the role, like, you know, where we're going to be auditioning. And I was like, oh, shit <laughs> so i put the phone down like that's crazy like i can't i don't even this is wild because it, it it was literally something that fell into my lap that i was in thailand at the time and um it, everything was surreal i was like i'm in thailand and i'm giving an offer to audition for a role and she's gonna have it remake and i didn't know much more than who i was gonna be playing and I thought it was going to be a movie, and then you know I go to read for the part, and it's a net. Turns out it's a Netflix show, mm-hmm. and I read with Anthony Ramos, who plays my brother Mars Blackman, and she's gonna have it. He's like the you know the Broadway star, and he was a white girl, and he's just great. He's a Puerto Rican dude from from Bushwick. He's lovely. He's incredibly talented. The whole the whole cast is dope. If she's gonna have it, I mean, if he, he they know what they were doing, Spike and them and casting and. And uh, they knew what they were doing, so. Yeah, it seems like they flipping it because I've seen like the shirts, it's like, please, mommy, please. Yeah, because we're Puerto so, Rican. Right, yeah. so it's flip, you flipping Por the favor, script. Please, mommy, please. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, Mars yeah. Blackman is now, which is great because, you know, Spike grew up in, in Brooklyn around Puerto Ricans. And so that's very much part of he, how he knows Brooklyn. And, and Lemon Anderson, who is with the creator of my character, he is Puerto Rican from, from Williamsburg. Um, and they've been working together for years, you know, like deaf poetry and, you know, Lemon does yeah. Broadway stuff and he's mm-hmm. amazing. So I guess Lemon and Anthony were friends through Lynn Manuel, I think. I think that's how they linked in Broadway and all that. Mm. So then they, I guess they imagined they wanted Anthony for the part and they wanted him to be, you know, reprise Spike's role as Mars Blackman, the sneaker kid who just is kind of reckless and fun uh but he's now puerto rican mother has a black father i play his sister lulu so um yeah so now you know we got the, the boricuas representing in the show word how, how many episodes is it, is it 10? 10 episodes 10 episodes okay 10 episodes now all coming all out at once netflix style netflix yeah. i love i love that model yeah. of so we're watch. just gonna binge and i'm gonna have a party um I'm gonna have a, I wanted to do the cookbook release slash party, but I, like I said, I think see, I think the season, I'm gonna pre, start pre-selling when the show comes out, I'll pre-sell, and then we'll, I'll put the books out, right? Probably like November. So how do how you like working with, with Spike? Tell me about the experience. It's wild, man. The first day, well, first of all, the whole experience has been really like, for, for it to be my first acting 
experience and first SAG role and all that shit, it's been really positive. I mean, everyone's been very friendly, very professional. Anything I need, I've always been comfortable. So that's been dope. And going to set, mm-hmm. you're just like taken care of completely. Anything you need is there. So you can focus on on the roles. And the cool thing is, is that um, Spike, my first shooting day, I had one of those moments, right? like out of, out of body moment where I'm like watching myself being directed by Spike, like him coming on set and kind of saying, giving Anthony and I tips on how he wanted it to look or like what he liked about that. And that was funny, try this, you know, whatever. And I'm like, this is fucking happening. Like, how the fuck is this happening? I know exactly what you mean. Too. Like I came, yeah. right. Like I came straight over from my chef, like working in the kitchen. Cause I, you know, I also cook for a community. So coming over from that, it was like, the fuck is my life right now? I'm sorry I curse so much. I just Nah, do. it's fine. <gasps> hey, the name of the podcast is Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Right, so okay. Like, it's okay. in the title, so. I say F a lot, but it's, I'm really trying to. But I know what you mean about the that experience, because, like, as I've been working, I've been able to meet people that I've, like, grown up, like, yeah. watching. Like, I watch, um, like, I was doing this um, web series, uh, this branded content video and it was working with Chili from TLC. Oh, shit. So it was wild to, for her to even like, be like, yeah, so what do you want me to do? I hear email. I'm yeah, like, yeah. It's wild. Like, Chili said my name. It's wild. She know who I, I'm recording her and giving her direction. So, right. yeah, so I could definitely relate with the way you felt about that uh, at that moment. Yeah, and the cool thing is what I love is that even though, you know, he is an A-list director, you know, he's who he is, he got there the way he got there, you know. Mm. So he can be a director. Like when it's time to like don't play. Like when it's time to get it done, get it done. Business, yeah. But he's also on the flip, extremely collaborative. Like he'll walk on set and you know we'll have the script and he'll just be like, I don't know. What do we think about this line? How do we change it? What would you say if blah blah blah? And so mm, we're there. Probably. We're there like working on this the script the day of. You know, like. Oh no, we're not gonna do that anymore. We're gonna do this, and I'm like, all right. So we're just—it's you really, really have to be on. And you know, my first fucking day shooting, I had no idea he he does this. But if you don't yell cut, you just keep going. Who cares if there's no lines? You better come up with your lines. Mm. So it's just very much That's like dope. yeah, it's a very fun. actor-centric director. It, it yeah, he is. And Anthony, who plays my brother, was just so he's so easy to work with. Like he just pulls it out of me, and I'm like. As cliche as that sounds, like it's with brother and sister, and that dynamic is just so easy with him. And I look at him, I'm like, ugh, you're like my, oh, you're like my little brother right now. Even though I don't have a little brother, but I have sisters. I know what the sibling beef is like. Uh-huh. So um, it's cool. The whole experience is cool. We wrap this week. Yeah, we wrap this week, and we're having an old school sneaker party on Friday. Are you ready? You got your sneakers. <laughs> I got my sneakers. So what? Uh, let's talk more more about your profession in your field what are some common misconceptions about about chefs that you think that you face or the common person may um i think a common misconception about chefs is that all chefs are assholes really that all chefs are drunks or cokeheads we be smoking though (laughs) (laughs) i was just about to say keep it natural but i don't play those other like man-made you know, stay up all night games. I don't think so. Okay. Oh, you know what I fucking hate? And I say effing because I mean it. Is when some men say it as a kind of other female chefs that I know have said this, we've had this conversation. They'll be like, oh, you're a chef? You don't look like a chef. Mm. Like, oh, are we, are we all supposed to be like ran down and raggedy? 
women chefs or can be like have lives outside of the kitchen and you don't look like a chef right and they think it's a compliment like mm. you know you look too put together to be like that's that's a stupid ass thing to say that's always an interesting compliment i felt when people say you don't look like x y and z it's, right. It's like, what are you? I don't say that to people, right? Yeah. I don't say no dumb shit like that to people. How do you know not to say that to people? How do you not know not to say that to me? I think a, 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 an acceptable. Yeah, I don't think it's really like an acceptable. It's more acceptable to say you look like than you don't look you like. You don't look like. Pet peeves. You have any pet peeves? In my field or in life? Well, in your field. Because I got mad. No, I'm kidding. Um, I think my pet peeve is. Okay, so the first restaurant I worked at when I came to New York. They were just way too stressed for no reason. And I think coming out of six years of the military, working in a high level, like working in IT, Intel community, where you have like you have no choice but to be there. And this is a matter of like life and death for some people. And this is a matter of like this is real work, right? And no. ultimately in the restaurant, we're just putting food on a plate for someone. And whether or not I agree with what I did, military, agenda wise, whatever, I do recognize it's, a, it's actually it's a serious job, you know. So I just feel like they took it too seriously and that annoys me. I'm like, you guys need to chill the fuck out. Like, this is a kitchen. Relax. Like, it's just food. Mm. That's a pet peeve. A pet peeve of mine is that I guess it's more so on clients. Not my own clients, but just like people that don't respect people that find, people that think that catering or pop-ups or private events are, wow, that's expensive. It's like, but I don't think you understand how much work from a matter of not only planning, just coming up with a menu. It doesn't just go from, oh, what a pretty menu to on your on your plate. The whole process of, let's talk to the client about what it is they like to eat, what they can't eat, what they absolutely hate, what they absolutely love. What is this event for? Do you want a theme? What do you want it to look like? Okay, now that we have a menu, where are we gonna source this food? It's not all coming from the same space. Right. Fish gotta go from here, quality meat, we gotta go to here. Vegetables to here. We gotta go pick it up, we gotta stand in line, we gotta get in cars, we gotta transport, we gotta unload, we gotta store, we gotta clean, we gotta cut, we gotta, it's a lot of work taking beautiful ingredients that you have to source and getting them where they need to get, keeping them at temps they need to stay at, plating them beautifully. It, you know, cooking is seen as like not, why is it so pricey? That's a pet peeve. Like when you want really nice, bomb ass, seasoned, delicious, well-cooked, beautiful food, you're gonna have to pay money, especially in cities like New York. That's my pet peeve. But people I've worked with, I think, have been um, very understanding. Otherwise, I wouldn't work with them. Do you have any notable failures or setbacks that you could share? Because I know, like, because I don't know, like, a lot of times we always talk about, oh, I did this. And we talk yeah. about the highlights. But yeah, what yeah, about yeah. the low lowlights that still help mold us and cultivate? Um, well, when I was working at the Lower East Side Girls Club, um, the own, I mean, I'm gonna be really frank. This the this the owner or the founder, the CEO Lynn. She's terrible. She's absolutely terrible. And I really, really struggled with leaving because, well, I did it. You know, I was when if I feel like I'm being disrespected, undervalued, that's very easy for me to be like, okay, bye. But the the job itself was very satisfying and fulfilling. And she was just a terrible person. And people quit on her left and right. So. That was just kind of like, that was a setback because I, like I said, I had all this responsibility, which I appreciate everything that I had there, I loved. But I, I guess I can't call it a setback because that's when I immediately after, like it pushed me into a new realm. I immediately was like, okay, I had just come off that dinner that I did for for Peralta and with Fadia for the um, Rollers and Icons. And I was getting a lot of cool exposure for that. And um, I remember I had a bottle of 20 grand vodka who sponsored the dinner, just sitting at home waiting for me. So I was like, I'm gonna go buy some limes. 
and and some mixers. I'm just gonna go home and just like roll a J and just like sip on the twenty grand vodka and just like cheers to being out of a, a toxic work environment, you know. Yeah. And then I was like, fuck it. I, the, the next day I got a call. Uh, well, I was I was shooting um, Chopped. I guess a week after that, two weeks after that, I, I shot Chopped. Um, and then I won. And the following day, I got a call from my homeboy about um, doing a Slate podcast, which was cool. Um, so it was like a setback, but it was really brief. Mm. So I was like, all right, fuck this. Like, He's like, yeah, I'm out here. I'm, I'm going to you know, yeah. keep it moving. That was a setback. Other project. Okay. Yeah, that was a setback. T- tell me about your documentary. So my documentary. Yeah, good. Like I was saying, I um, initially, I had plans... Last year, I made this statement. I was like, I'm going to Thailand and Vietnam this summer, and then winter, I'm going to Brazil. Oh, I had all these plans. I should have been in Brazil. Like, that's that was the goal, right? Don't get me started on Yo, Brazil. Don't get when, me started. Listen, when next winter, this winter coming up, it's on. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so then um, my girl Callie, a good friend of mine, she's a trainer who is from Queens, but she went to Puerto Rico. You might know her. Callie got body. Yeah, that's my girl. We're moving to San Juan, to San Torce together. Oh, we're dope. roommates. We got a three bedroom spot. Got it. We both wanted to go back to PR. Me, I wanted to go back just because like we wrapped the show. I wanted to get out of the winter. And I just want to be there. There's a lot going on economically. It's, it's, in, a, it's in a very, um, Puerto Rico's in a very shitty situation as far as like, a lot of schools have closed. Um, people can't are losing their pensions. Um, you know, it's just the roads are so fucked up and torn up, and it's just everything is just kind of falling apart. And they're in so much debt. And so, unfortunately, you know, I always tell people I have a love dislike relationship with President Obama because I love him and I love the Obamas, I love his wife and his daughters. And I think ultimately, I believe that he wish he could have done more. I believe that. Um, but I still look at things that he's done, like he came up with the Promesa bill, which is basically a bill that has appointed, he's appointed different lawmakers, you know, American lawmakers to decide on how Puerto Rico is going to get out of debt, how they're going to move forward. They just came in, they come in and they decide. And so, which is very unfortunate, but when you're a colony and a true colony, then you don't make decisions for your island. So, you know. I've been hearing more from my aunts about my grand, my great grandfathers and my great uncles and what they did and where they lived and what they owned and what their professions were. And I just feel like this, somehow I've been pulled to, and Callie and I made this decision when I was in Vietnam in July to do Puerto Rico together. Uh And here we are, the wheels are set in motion. We liked the idea a lot, but I was like, let me get through New York. Let me see what's up with this show and see if I get the part and then see how this works out. And so now, Puerto Rico is the focus, and we're gonna we are going to shoot a four part docu series. You have and, a title? Uh, no, we don't. Okay. But we've had our first couple of meetings. We've all broken it down to four sections. We've all made contacts. We're writing. We're story writing. So, like I said, I'm getting there February eighth. I have an apartment with three bedrooms, so I have an extra spare. So Addie and Rebecca, who are two of my really great friends that are journalists, are going to be coming out each month and at the end of February we're gonna go and do and meet our meet our subjects, do some story writing and shoot all the B roll. And then they're gonna come back in March and we're gonna start shooting the first rounds of like the different farms and, and wherever all the other places that we go. Um, and then we're gonna just kind of shoot it over the next three or four months and then they're gonna go into editing come like July. And so, you know, we're all I'm just trying to I'm trying to be just as smart about 
like I said, going back to, oh, I'm not a brandy kind of person, branding, branding, but I'm really just trying to be smart about how I use what I'm, what I'm doing and how I make it all work for itself. And, you know, so more impactful as possible. Yeah. It's important. So you're not bombarding people with your shit and it doesn't feel like you're trying to sell yourself all the time. It just feels like shit's about to pop off in one realm. This is how I bring everything else along and just, you know, build my shit for myself, you know? So, um, the documentary, yeah, we're going to be focusing on how did Puerto Rico get here? What are these taxes and what are these laws and these bills that the U.S. has been putting on Puerto Rico and how does it get out of that and why is independence important and who's benefiting from this and, and who's completely, who's losing quality of life and struggling terribly hard through people of Puerto Rico. So we're going to cover that and we're going to show PR, also the beautiful side, the food, the culture, where we're kind of putting in, you know, because I do like food and culture. And that kind Sounds of very well-rounded. Yeah, but it's going to be very newsy as well, because they're journalists first, and this matters to me. I feel like this is something that I need to do for me and for my island and for people that live on the island. Even though I didn't grow up there, wasn't even raised there, but that's where my people come from, and that's where I want I want to be able to say, I'm going to, to Puerto Rico for the next however many years and not worry about it turning completely white or a complete completely gentrified you know then there's a mass exodus in 2014 there was like 64,000 people left the island yeah i was reading some article that there's it's wild more people live in new york from puerto rico than who actually live in puerto rico yeah and so why why are we, why is puerto rico importing all their vegetables and their fruit and why and why does puerto rico have anything that comes to pr on a boat has to go to the u.s to be inspected first has to be has to have U.S. employees on that boat, and they have they control everything, everything. Like, what the fuck is this about? Like, this is like such a fertile land, and why are we importing fruits and vegetables? When I say we, I mean obviously Puerto Rico, fruits and vegetables from other places, you know. And then you go back decades to the U.S. coming in and the push for urbanization, and then moving a lot of men from PR to the Midwest to work or parts of the U.S. to work and sterilizing women and just changing the whole dynamic of like how families, what family looks like, what work life looks like, you know, the bastardization of like, you know, farming and how it's like, you know, country or hibaro or whatever. And so now there's young people there that are like, um, we have land and we have, this is like, I call it resistance farming. It sounds dramatic, but it's like, we have land and we're not going to have to, you know, succumb to these like cheesy politicians who say that we have to pay this for food. This is crazy. Look at our land. Look at what we can produce. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, so we're just going to go in and just, there's not much out there about PR. And if it is, it's, um, people are doing work. So let me not discredit anyone who's doing work, who's done work. Um, but I don't think that there's enough on PRs. I just want to add to that. It's not about, I'm going to make the best. It's more like, I want to add something really dope that people my age and generation can see and care about and can relate and actually be like, oh shit, I didn't realize PR was a colony. Like in a real sense, it's a colony, you know? It, people just think, oh, it's just a lovely place that, that like they have all the benefits of coming to the US and you need a passport and that's just, people don't get it. And like, that's fine. They don't, I get it. but. It's a fucking colony. So we want to shine light on that and show the beauty of PR, but also like really be like, look at what the US is doing. Like just keep shining the ugliness in the face of people so they can see, like, look what's happening. Keep getting angry because keep we want, we need people to get pushed to a certain point. Like, look what's happening. And so I think that's getting off topic here. I think that's I'm trying to like uh edit how much Trump Trump shit I put in my feed. 
because it's it's a it's a beating it's it's demoralizing but it's also important that people see every single day look what the fuck is happening because you know had hillary clinton won we would have just gone back and uncomfortable to like oh back to business as usual and she's crooked as fuck too i voted for her absolutely absolutely voted for her because for me it was a matter of duh him or her no question a clinton a clinton administration would look nothing like this we would not be worrying about these things right. but it would still be the same principles and policy of white supremacy uh all these things she keeps yes. upholding yes. she needs to sit her ass down the clinton is her ass down too he is not the answer to solving, but he is a wonderful catalyst for people who've just been like nonchalant or blase or whatever. Like now it's nice. It's it's I don't want to romanticize revolution, but it's this is the part where it's like this is where it gets real. Yeah, you definitely need that, um, sometimes because kicking the ass. There's there's you know, um like even when you read like different narratives and experiences about the uh, child slavery, chattel slavery in America. Then it's like some slavers was like, "Oh, these are the nice slavers." So ma- massa ain't that bad, or whatever, whatever. Right. But then there's other people who had a, a much harder experience on their plantation, where it was easier for them to rise up. Right. You know what I'm saying? So just because someone is nice, nicer to you, is still you're still yeah. enslaved. Right. Not the that's a really intense example but i definitely no, no, understand no, no, what no, you mean right. like as far as trump and and, and 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 clinton it's like we're still dealing with some uh similar issues and topics but since trump is so overt with his it's easier for people to yeah. galvanize yeah and because we sorry, you're so right because we see we know what they did with the prison system we know yeah, how yeah, yeah. we know how blacks are you know, black males are super predators and, you know, from her mind, or her mouth. So it's like, you don't, you know, I don't, I don't fuck with them. Mm. And, you know, yeah, maybe I went along and played along and voted for her. Clearly she didn't win. So here we are. Here we are. All right. So we're nearing the end of this interview. So for this part, like I do a, a name that tune. Okay. So I play a song see if you could guess who it is. And then I'll ask you some questions about like music and movies and things. Okay. Kind of, kind of thing. so, oh no, my credibility is on the motherfucking line. Nah, for, for now, like I've been choosing some some pretty like me out. some really uh, easy ones. But uh, do, you, do you recognize this song here? Routine can all be so simple. Wait. Yeah, I was another lyric. I know. What is the song? That's Kame. Off of oh, Iron God, Man. Yes. Yeah. Yep. But I know you're a big woo head. I am. I love this cover. They're all in like yellow and like. They're like in like raincoats, right? Yeah, they're like, like yellow shopping. and. They're shopping for Wild. Yeah. They're like, it's like mad 90s looking. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alright, so that's that. She knew that. She knew that. I did and did it. I did and did it, you know? Singing it all, man. Like, I knew the song, but I didn't know the song. What music is currently in your rotation right now? Do you know who Riva DeVito is? 
Nah. She's dope. I think she's a white girl, but she's from Portland, I think. But I, I, for some reason, I always thought she was from the Bay. She's dope. I've been listening to a lot of her. Mm-hmm. Um, I've listening to a lot of, I'm looking at my players that I've been going through, a lot of um, Loose Ends, like old school. Oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah. I always listen to them. Um, I listen to a lot of the same shit. It's been gloomy and cold in, in New York, so I've been listening to a lot of Radiohead. Um, okay, you're really, I love it. They have good mood music. Oh, absolutely. Vibe out music. I, my yeah. fa- they're my favorite band of all time, Word. for sure. Um, I'm ready for Quadrant to have a new album. Yeah. What's up with that? Yeah. Quadrant. I think um, they broke up. Did they break up? No. I, I think Robin went on to produce other things because like, he always did his own. He had his own other thing. Right. Like Boom Clap Bachelors and some other stuff. And then Coco, she does. Oh, I wish she was having a show while I was here. I would so go see her. Right, because she lives out here. Yeah. yeah. She's dope, man. She's so dope. Um, she had her own. She was supposed to have her own album come out, but it never came out. Um, but I would like to hear from her. I listen to a lot of, um, I will say now especially, I listen to a lot of like Brazilian music in the morning. Hey. You know, like that always, that's always really nice. Mm. Um, I also listen to a lot of like um, Mercedita Valdez and like Acero Ross, like the Cuban, the Afro-Cuban Lukumi singers. Mm. Um, but you know. So you, you, you cut a rug, Santana? I cut a rug. You cut a rug? <laughs> yeah man some nights you go out and just I love those nights they're not as often as they used to be when I was like my, my early 20s like in my 20s I feel like specifically my early 20s I feel like I like it's weird to say early 20s or 20s I know I'll be forgetting sometimes like oh shoot I'm not in my 20s anymore nope nope we're but, not in our 20s anymore that's mm, cool mm. Um, yeah I turned 30 in November oh, it's my big 3-0 year 30's good yes 30's good it's treating me well um, yeah, I used to go out, you know, military life. We used to park, especially overseas. I can imagine. We were on stupid levels. Like, we lived four hours in Paris by car, four hours in Amsterdam. So we'd be like, let's get a pack of people together. Three hour, three, you know, three day weekend. Let's just go party in Paris. Imagine. That's dope. La Buena Vida. For real. Yeah. What about movies? What's the last movie you saw in the theater? Oh, God. Can you remember? Been a minute? It's been a minute. But I'm. I need to go see Moonlight. Yeah, I'm an idiot. I'm stupid, right? Well, you, you'll see it eventually, and it's dope, and we'll you'll relish it. And it's beautiful. And I it's, know. Um, how about? Can you share a memorable article, book, YouTube clip that you discovered recently that you would like to share? I'm just gonna go back to the whole Trump thing. There was a um, is, okay. Go ahead. There was an article that I, I think she's Vietnamese. Why did I think she? I don't know. I don't want to assume, but I feel like she was. She uh, wrote about after the the whole Women's March weekend. She talked about how, you know, like everyone needs to be really cautious. Uh, white women specifically need to be very cautious about like checking themselves. Like, why are you out here? What are your real motivations? Like, are you standing up for Black Lives Matter? Or are you just mad because white women's abortion rights are taken away? Like, what really matters to you? And if you want to be at this march in solidarity, then this, 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 and this. And it wasn't on some like angry shit, but she was on some real, real talk. Like, this is how, because I went to the march in DC and it was overwhelmingly white. And that's Sorry. cool. Like, Sorry, what is your motivation? Right. And I also read another article from a white woman. She's like, I see you guys out here trying hard, working on that, get it. I see you. I'm doing the same thing. However, and it was like, these people basically, these articles are basically calling out, like, let's get 
this talk us to have real uncomfortable conversations and that's for you we're white people to have with each other like we are no longer in the role of teaching you or showing you you want you should understand by this point if seeing people getting gunned down or seeing people being blocked from coming into the country literally today because of his new ban on you know immigrants from muslim countries then bitch not, there's nothing i can teach you that should teach you. And so the article, I felt like when I read it, I was like, okay, she, but she articulated, because I couldn't really put my finger on how, why I felt the way I felt. I mean, we, my sisters and my mom, my friend, we all noticed like, damn, it would have been nice to have more people of color and more representation. But then we got into, you know, the whole, the, the topic of like privilege and not just like by having white skin, but privilege of, by, you know, just economically, just whites have had more economic privilege, right? And how many women can just, and it was older women too, obviously. So you had money saved to just be like, oh, I can just get at a hotel and a flight to DC. I think that's the Chinese New Year uh, fireworks. Um, or maybe it's just construction, but I don't know. Um, so, so yeah, um, but I couldn't put my finger on what's this weird feeling I'm having about this march and why do I feel disconnected to it? in a way, and, and she put her finger, you know, she put, she put it right on. So that, that kind of resonated with me. What societal norm do you think is stupid or weird or wish wasn't the norm? I think it's really, it's amazing the difference that women are treated in, in the world. Even, and I'm gonna say women, because even taking out the conversation of people of color, of course, but in, there's a privilege even that men have, privilege of power, a privilege of maybe being taken more seriously than, than women have. And, and people of color, and color, communities of color. So it's even layers and levels. Mm -hmm. So I think that my experience of, of being a black Latina and a woman, have working in the military, working in the food world, now moving into entertainment industry. I mean, I think, and even just going around the world and traveling, it's really, it's really amazing to me um, how women are still really like fucked with, and like we're creators of life, we sustain things. I mean, you know, I'm not I'm not here to shit on men. I'm not at all here to shit on men. But I know that women just hold it down and keep things going. Come on. We we hold and give life. You know? Yeah, there's this quote about women from uh, Mary McLeod Bethune that always stuck with me is to women we are forever indebted for life itself and then for making it worth living. Oh. It's such a like that. That's beautiful. Yeah, and that's so real. Yeah. Like that's so real. Like uh, that whole concept of like a woman's touch or women's intuition. It's so true. Like, yes. All right, we're coming to the end, and I like to. Uh, oh, future announcements and etc. Let's go down the list. Okay. Got cookbook. Cookbook. I'll cook like your mother. I'll cook like your mother. It's coming out. She's got to have it on Netflix. Mm -hmm. The documentary that's untitled yeah. about Puerto Rico. Production status. Yeah. Um. What else you got? Just you cooking in general and doing private cooking. pop pop of the event. So yep. make sure y'all check I'm out actually, for that. I'm actually looking for, um, and I'm going to plug myself because I'm looking for a summer job. Oh, word. But I want to do, um, I want to do um, private cooking for a client just for the summer, a summer seasonal job. Preferably traveled either here. Manifest that. Somewhere, yeah, somewhere warm, somewhere, you know, high paying and um, seasonal and or they would expect a lot of me or, you know, just really nice food and in a nice place. So I'm looking for a job. Holla. <laughs> Holla at it. All right. So the last Thank thing I do. Yeah. Summer, summer gigging. Yeah. 
So the last thing I like to do is like to do this pivot questionnaire, which was made famous by Inside the Actor Studio. And it's a way for you to get a great kind of a, a great span of information by using 10 questions. Okay. So first question is what is your favorite word? Fuck. <laughs> no, 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 no. Listen, no. That is one of my favorite words. You skipped no, no. the question number five. Was, what say, is your favorite curse word? Okay. But we'll we're going to get there. My favorite word. Oh God, I hate that that was my first answer. That was real. Is um, <laughs> I say dope a lot. Dope. I say dope. Pun intended. Listen, man. The podcast. Listen, oh, let's wait for this siren to go by. What is your favorite word? Dope. What is your least favorite word? I don't like words like condone because they don't sound like what they are. What do you mean? Like condone sounds like I'm completely against it. I don't con I, I condone that. Uh, but it's yeah. like if you're condoning, like you're going along with it. And I don't think it, it confuses people. I mean, I know the difference, but I get that word confusing people. Oh, okay. I never <laughs> thought about that. Okay. I, 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 I see your perspective. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Creatively, I am turned on by um, fresh produce and good good cuts of meat and cheese and marketplaces like today, Grand Central Market. Holla. Um, uh, spiritually, um, being at the ocean, being at the river, spending time with my spiritual family, um, cooking, and emotionally, music, time with my friends, smoking weed. <laughs> what turns you off? People that aren't sure of them, who they are yet, when you can smell it on them. Um, people with bad breath, when you can literally smell them. That really, really, I, what is the deal? Why do people smell, like, why do some people smell? <laughs> I'm about to go brush my teeth right now. I'm not, I'm not shooting darts your way. Anybody <laughs> can't, you know. Um, people with no manners, you know, in gratitude, like I, I think gratitude is everything. Yes. You can tell when people just don't know any better. You're like, you suck as a person. I'm never doing shit for you again. Mm. That's the kind of heart I have. I'm giving as hell. When people aren't, aren't grateful, I'm like, I'm never doing shit for you. Mm -hmm. What's the point? I'm not here for you to be like, thank you, thank you, thank you. But it's like, if you if you don't feel like what I thought was valuable that I gave you isn't valuable to you, then I'm not fucking with you. Your favorite curse word? Fuck. What sound or noise do you love? I love ASMR. Do you know what ASMR is? Is that when you be like... Oh my God. You know what? We were talking about Bob Ross yesterday. And I remember as a kid, I loved Bob Ross because it was triggering. It would, I would get tingles because it was so soothing. Hearing the scrapes on the canvas and hearing the click of his voice and like the brush. It was very relaxing. And ASMR is intentionally... Those videos are intentionally made to give you those triggers and put you to sleep. I've been listening to ASMR for probably three years now. Are you serious? I have, I have artists. I just got hit to that. I love it. I have artists that I have been fucking with for years that I, ha I have friends who went to ASMR and we like send each other links like, yo, check this video out. And like, I do it when I'm winding down. Like, it's just relaxing. It's bizarre for some people. If you get to decompress. But the sounds are so relaxing. It's, it's just, it's like hypnosis. Yeah, cause my, the, post-production supervisor on this TV show I'm working on, he, he was like, yo, you know, have you ever heard of this ASMR? And he, he like, showed me these YouTube videos. They have like 20 million views, it's 30 million shit. views. But people, like, it helps for people who go and do, do like, I think, occupational, like, certain stress. therapy and stuff. Yeah, stress. So if they're like... Can't sleep, insomnia. Like, 
they have like traumatic brain injuries or something. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's just like different it's relaxing. things. relaxing. It really triggers parts of the brain. That is funny. So uh, ASMR is one of my favorites. The Sound of Rain. Um, I like the sound of food frying. Like, like just that frying, bubbly sound. Mm-hmm. I like the call to prayer. I'm not a Muslim, but I love that sound. It reminds me of living in Turkey. And I still hear it in Brooklyn because the mosque. I'm Bedford and Franklin. Or I'm sorry, Bedford, Franklin. Fulton and Bedford is mm-hmm. um is right there. So I hear it. Um, yeah, call to prayer, rain, fried food, ASMR, What's, <laughs> the ocean. The ocean. What sound or noise do you hate? Taylor Swift, <laughs> Selena Gomez, okay. all those little shrimp. All that poppy, poppy stuff. All right. Um, That's funny answer. All that annoying, like that stupid like bro shit. Okay. That can die off. Yes. I hate the sound of mice and rats walking across or squealing. That's, that's ASMR. That could be ASMR. Get the fuck out of here. That's, that's <laughs> MTA, Metro, Subway shit. <laughs> um, that, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Uh, in another life? I want to come back as either a ballet, professional ballet dancer or a professional surfer. What profession would you not like to do? Law. And last question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Uh, Well, I have a different concept of that in my head. Not a one God pearly gates kind of thing, but the concept of like afterlife. Welcome. Um, do you want to see your mom? Okay. <laughs> All right. So that's that. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. This is cool. Yeah. I appreciate you giving us insight, learning a lot. And um, yeah, man, some gems there to get more insight about what makes you tick and looking forward to seeing all the projects and stuff that you're working on. Thank you. So make sure y'all log on to superdopeshit.com where you can see the show notes about, you know, stuff that was interesting, stuff that was mentioned in this episode. Uh, Make sure you subscribe on iTunes. And uh, yeah, I like to leave off this episode with my favorite quote. As always, by Pablo Picasso, which is only put off for tomorrow, which you're willing to have died having left undone. Mm. All right, so we out here. Peace. Bye.